We should never get to that place in our Christian walk where we think we understand fully what uh, a word, a term, uh, you know, something that God is wanting to portray. Like we should never be content with our understanding. And uh, my mind was blown last night, and to and to enter into worship with such a uh, we had a feature song last night singing about the mercy of God, didn't we? Wasn't that beautiful, powerful? And tell me, tell your music director, Robin. <laughs> and uh, but there was there was a scripture that came out which uh, I planned to bring out this morning. Speaking of David, and it was it's the it's the line that would be written on David's tombstone. You ever thought about what the line would be written on your tombstone? You have? Okay, good. I haven't really thought that far. But if David had a line written on his tombstone, it would be this: David. From such and such, since such and such date, a man after God's own heart. That's the statement on David's tombstone. A man after God's own heart. It says this in, in Acts chapter 13. So this is, you know, a thousand years later. And, and the writer of Acts, um, Luke, they believe it is, is, is saying uh, that even though Saul was the king, the times were calling for change. He'd, he'd turned rotten. He'd turned bad and the, and the people and the times were calling for change. And it says this in Acts chapter 22, God speaking, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And uh, that's what I want to share this morning. I want to share about the life of David. I want to look at his life, uh, the beginning and towards the end. They tell me it doesn't really matter what happens in the middle, as long as you start well and you finish well. Stuff's going to go down in the middle, stuff's going to go wrong, but if we start well, it's, it's what they say in, in the music scene anyway, you start a song well, you finish it well, and everyone loves it. doesn't matter if it's a train wreck in the middle. We're going to look at the beginning, we're going to look at the end of David's life and see why God would call him a man after his own heart. Sound good? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scriptures. They're great stories, Lord, about great people. But we pray that there would be more than that to us this morning. Not just a story in the past, but make it so relevant to our life today, we pray, Lord. Breathe upon your scriptures. Our minds and our heart and our spirit is open to you. Amen. Amen. So we, we, we learn the beginning of David's life that he is a shepherd boy. It's his role. Hey, Ryan, I was thinking of you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Oh, he, he started it now. Don't distract me again. Um, he, he started out his journey looking after his father's sheep. Shepherd boy. He was, he was the youngest in the flock. I know what he feels like. And he was given all the dirty jobs. Not really. I didn't have to lift a finger when I was living at home. I was the favoured one. But David wasn't the favoured one. Stop distracting me, please. David wasn't the favoured one. He was the one, as the shepherd cast out to the fields, to do the, the, the minor job of, of looking after the family sheep, the unimportant job. And this is where we discover David's heart for God. This is where we first begin to see that he is after God's own heart. That he, he hasn't got a heart like God's. That's not what it means by a man 
after God's own heart. He's not trying to have the heart of God. He, he, he discovers the heart of God. He finds out who God is. And he learned to do this from a young age in the fields looking after sheep, often with the clear skies at nighttime. And you read some of these psalms. You can Google the psalms that David wrote as a shepherd boy. And, and they're quite clear. Let me tell you a few of them. The first one you'll know is the most famous psalm written, The Lord is my shepherd. He's out in the field and he comes out with this statement. Uh, you know, he understands what it is to shepherd sheep. That's all he knows at this stage. And he comes to the conclusion that the Lord is like a shepherd to him, like he is to his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me lay down in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I am not afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod, your staff, they protect me. They comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That was not written as a king. That was written as a shepherd boy, understanding something of God, which is mind-blowing to many of us these days. Acts 19, uh, sorry, Psalms 19 was another one of these psalms written in the field. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day and night they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun, and it bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run its race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. And he describes the things that he's just seeing in nature. And he's discovering elements of God, God's heart where he is. He's learning to be a worshipper as he's a shepherd boy. I don't have much time this morning. I've got a lot to share, but this is good, isn't it? Psalms 8 was another one of these. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and those who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and everything that swim in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic your name fills the earth. A young boy having these insights. Amazing, isn't it? 
Let's journey through his life a little bit. So that's him as a shepherd boy. One day he's out there with the sheep and he gets called upon to come home. The reason why he gets called upon to come home is because the prophet Samuel knows the Saul's gone rotten and, and God's wanting a new king. The people are wanting a new king. And so Samuel, the prophet of the day, gets told by God to take some oil. You're about to go and anoint the next king. He, and all, all he knows, all he's told by God is that he's the son of Jesse. So he goes and finds Jesse in Bethlehem. Bring me your sons. And you know the story. They all line up from the biggest roll the way down. There's a heap of them. And one by one, he comes in front of them and says, no, this isn't the one. This isn't the one. Haven't you got any other sons? No, this is it. This is all I got. Oh, except for that one looking after the sheep. You don't want him. He's just a shepherd boy. Go and get him. You know the story well. So they go and get him. They bring him in. Samuel anoints David by pouring a flask full of oil over his whole body. Anoints him as king. Interestingly, David then returns to his sheep. He goes back to becoming a shepherd again. Can you get what this signifies? He's been anointed as the next king. Most people would be like, about time. About time they recognize what, what I've got to offer. Yet, humility is upon David so much that even in the midst of his brothers who have dirty looks on their face because they missed out, he doesn't lord it over them. He goes back to his duties humbly as a shepherd. He's a great worshiper of God in his field. But here we, we learn that he's also a humble young man, super humble. The time goes on a little bit more. He's still a shepherd at this stage. But uh, Saul, the king, is starting to lose his way a bit and, and he has this tormenting spirit that he can't shake off by himself. And, and uh, he's like, can anybody help me with this? Does anybody know anyone that can help me with this and relieve me of this tormenting spirit? And one of his men says, I, I know one of Jesse's, Jesse's sons. He's a talented harp player. Uh, why don't we bring him in? So they do. And it's David. So he comes, he leaves his post of being a shepherd and he comes into the courts of Saul. He hasn't met Saul. Saul hasn't even heard of David. We know the story that Samuel has anointed him as the next king. Saul is the king. And he hasn't even heard of this young David yet. And he comes in as a harp player. And the Bible says that any time this tormenting spirit would give Saul grief, David would come and play his harp and it would relieve him of the tension. It would, it would change the atmosphere. And this is David just uh, bringing his gift of worship to the forefront again. Amazing. Uh, crazy stories, isn't it? And Samuel doesn't realize that it's not just some shepherd boy playing music. It's the next anointed king that's going to succeed him in his courts, playing along, creating sounds of heaven that are, that are helping Saul to deal with his tormenting spirit. So he'd come and go out of Saul's 
courts. The story goes on after that, and, and the Israelite people are up against the Philistines, and this, hence the story of David and Goliath, and Saul's at battle, and, and all of David's brothers are there, they're in the army, but David's uh, with the, um, been sent by his father at this stage to go and bring some food for the brothers, because they're at this standoff, the two armies, and, and uh, so he does, and, and then he comes across this picture of, of the Israelite armies in, in hiding and scared, and he's like, what's going on here? And, and this, the famous story we've all heard in our Sunday school is the story of David and Goliath. Goliath is out there calling for somebody to fight him, and, and if anyone beats me, then you know we'll be at your mercy, but if I beat you, you'll be at our mercy, that kind of thing. is a huge standoff. Israelites are scared. David sees this and he can't believe what's going on. The stories of, that I've been sharing here are found in 1 Samuel, if you want to check them out later on and make sure I'm telling you the truth. And, uh, oh, there we go. 1 Samuel 16, these stories are David and Goliath uh, is in chapter 17. And, and David says, I'll fight this guy. I'll go up against him. And the Saul's like, you're just a... Shepherd boy, you know, it's like, no, no, I'll, I'll take this guy on. I've heard his taunts. I've heard, I've heard what he's saying about my God, and that's not right. I'll take this fella on, right? Here, here we start to see an element of David's life that we haven't seen. We've seen that he's a worshiper. We've seen that he's humble. But all of a sudden, we're seeing some courageous warrior, right, standing up to the plate. And in chapter 17, it says, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's, only, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're a, only a boy and he is a man of war since his youth. Anyway, he convinces him. Verse 36, I've defeated the lions and the bears that come from my sheep. I'll do the same to this Philistine, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So not only is he stupid, I mean courageous, here we see an element of David which, which we start to see for the rest of his life, that he stands up against anybody that would oppose the living God. Here we see an element of David that he is so passionate about giving God, the living God, the Lord of all, all glory and honor, that if you don't, watch out, because he'll take your head off. You know, he was passionate about this. He was passionate about honoring God, honoring God. He was a worshiper. By the way, these are traits that we should try and pick up in our lives, if you haven't understood where I'm going this morning. He was a worshiper. He was humble. He's courageous, but he honors God. And this is the beginning of his clear journey that we can see of him displaying honor for his God. And this overwhelms any other uh, element of his life. For the rest of his life, we see everything he does is for the honor of God. Anyway, he goes ahead and he kills Goliath. We know the story. Cuts his head off. Happy days. I thought so. 
So Saul's happy, you know, he's, he's one. He's like, whoa, who is this kid? Shepherd boy, he, he played the guitar in my home group. I know this kid. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's this mighty warrior. Man, David starts to get this reputation now that he's a warrior. They've discovered he's a warrior. And, and, and Saul's a little bit like, he, he's not really big on this because he liked the limelight. He liked to be the one in charge. And so, so but, but David is willing to do whatever it is to honor God and in so honor his king, that whatever Saul asked of him, he would do. Saul gets a bit intimidated by David this stage in his life. He's reached the front. Uh, everybody knows his name. They're singing songs about David that he's even greater than Saul. You know, this is Saul's pride takes a hit this stage in history. So much so that Saul wants him dead. So he decides to put him in charge of a, 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 some, some other warriors, some ones, people that fight in the army on the front line. He figures that, you know, the front line of battle should t- take out this young kid. Gets rid of him, not a threat anymore. So he does, he sends him to the front line in, in charge of a, a small group of soldiers. Turns out they become very successful at what they do. Turns out they become mighty, mighty warriors that the Bible gives a passage about. These guys that are just like, you've seen the movie 300? It's like them, that's David's mighty man. Robin, you need to see the movie 300. Gerard Butler. Good. Yeah, that got you in, didn't it? So whatever it is, my king, sure, I'll do it. And you know what? He succeeded in everything he did. Amazing guy. Amazing guy, David. He builds up his posse, his army. He becomes more influential. He ends up being the commander of the whole army. Until it does come to the point in time where the men answer to David more so than they answer to Saul. Again, this infuriates Saul. He wants him out. He wants him dead. So David then is on the run. It starts from David still playing the harp in his presence. This is how the scene starts. He's still playing the harp, even though he's become this warrior. He's still still relieving Saul of this tormenting spirit. But Saul is so hates this kid in his room that's just good at everything to the point that he even picks up a spear to try and pin him to the wall. Twice. Two different occasions. Like you would think after the first time, David would, you know... Hit the road, Jack. But he doesn't. He's back a second time. And he sees that Saul's not changing. Then he hits the road. He's had enough of this. He's out of there. So he's on the run. The next phase of his life, he's on the run. He did all he can to to be honorable. He stayed longer than most of us would have, right? He's done everything to serve his king because in serving his king, he believed he was serving his Lord, right? So he's on the run. Saul has got his own men and they're chasing him down. And they come to the place where they're out in the wilderness and trying to chase down where David is. They know he's close. And anyway, Saul goes into this cave at one point, to, the Bible says, to relieve himself. Just turns out that David and his men were hiding in that very same cave. 
don't know if you know the story. He sneaks up to behind Saul. These men are going, now's your chance, David. Now's your chance to take him out, take him out. Sneaks up behind him while he's relieving himself. And he gets so close and he has this feeling that comes over him. I shouldn't be doing this. I know I've been anointed king. I know that God's presence has left Saul. I know the times are calling for a new king and it's my time. I know the anointing of the Lord's on me. I know I'm loved by God. It's my time. But he can't bring himself to killing the king. And he says this famous line, far be it from me to hurt the Lord's anointed. Later on, that's the first time he had a chance to put his own spear through Saul. Later on, very similar scenario again. David comes into their camp, Saul's camp, while he's asleep. Stands over Saul while he's sleeping, spear in hand. Opportunity to do it again. Remember Saul took the opportunity to kill David twice? This is David's second time, opportunity to kill Saul and move on and take the Israelite nation into all that God's called it to be. Yet the same, same sense of God comes over him again. I can't do this. Far be from me to hurt the Lord's anointed. What an honorable young man. What a patient young man. This has now been, they say, up to 20 years since he was first anointed as king. Like, that's a long time. Patience. He's a worshiper, he's humble, he's courageous, he's honorable, and he's patient. Who is this guy? All the ladies want to know, right? It's not Gerard Butler, Robin. No wonder the Bible describes him and the Lord's voice himself says, he's a man after my own heart. He's a man who is so consumed with honoring me and my heart. And it's fully on display in the first half of his life. I want to fast forward throughout the guts of his, his life, throughout the, the bulk. He becomes king. He becomes king. And Israel, Israel go on this, um, this, this era of conquest where they're where they're advancing at a crazy rate. They're coming up against the enemies of God. They're taking them all out. They're taking more land for themselves. They're conquering the world, right? This is David's era, the most progressive time in the history of, of God's people, of the Israelite people. And, and so, but, but that's not important for this message. I want to flip forward now to the ending. Remember, we're looking at the beginning and we're looking at the end. Are you okay? How, how long have I been going? Five minutes. Uh, 35 more minutes to go. You right? <laughs> We're fast forwarding to a time that is written about in First Chronicles. If you've got your Bible, you should go here. First Chronicles. David gets to the, toward the very end of his life. Yeah, he's king, most successful king ever. Like, achieved more than any other king, even came close. He gets toward the end of his life. 
and he has this revelation. I want to build the Lord a house. I want to build the Lord a temple, a resting place for the Ark of Covenant of the Covenant. It's been on the move too long. It's been in temporary accommodation too long. I want to. I, I, I want to finish. We're finished with the battles. We're finished with the walls. I, I want to just give God a resting place. Not only that. He wants to give the next generation an era of resting, an era of peace. There's nobody else to battle. There's no, many, many, there's no other wars to win. It's all done. It's time to build God a house. It's time to build the Israelite people a hub, a centerpiece for their community, a, a thing that their life revolves around. It's time. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5 says this. David said, My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. This, uh, this, this is amazing. This is where I want to just take a few minutes to, to realize the stage in David's life. He was a, a, a kid that honored God with everything. And he gets to the stage in his life where, where he realizes the greatest thing for him to do with his limited time left is to set up a physical structure that will not only honor God, because that's his goal in life, is to honor God, right? But will set up the next generation for ongoing worship of this God that he honors. Do you hear where I'm going this morning? You know we're only one week away from first fruits, right? You know where I'm going. What would you say? I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Verse 11. Now, my son, he's talking directly to Solomon now. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and the regulations that the Lord gave to Israel throughout, uh, through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Does that sound familiar? Where's that from? Be strong and courageous. Those were the words, you're right, Joshua, as he's about to enter the promised land. Wasn't it? Be strong and courageous. There's a, there's a big battle in front of you. It's coming, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Thousand-odd years later, we have David telling his son the very same thing. Get ready, Solomon. This is big. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid 
do not lose heart. I have worked hard to provide materials for the building of the temple of the Lord. Listen to this. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. We also have gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add some more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and, and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of iron and bronze. Now begin the work and may the Lord be with you. This is an old man's charge. Still king, speaking to the next generation. Get yourself ready. It's happening. I've prepared the way for you. The supplies have come in. This is the era that we're in. Let's skip forward into chapter 28. Anyone enjoying this? End of chapter 28, verse 20, says this. David continued. Again, he's speaking to, to Solomon. Uh, be strong and courageous. There it is again. Remember, Joshua was told to him twice, wasn't it? Or at least a number of times. David again here, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. Next chapter, 29. Then King David returned to his entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold and enough silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion, remember, this is the most devoted person we've read about in history, devoted to God, to God's own heart. And now because of my own devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my private treasury of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold this is David's own private stash. 112 tons of gold from Ophrah. I don't know what that word is. And 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the, the building and all the other gold and silver. There's going to be a lot of gold and silver in this building. You know, it's like a European building, this one. Lots of gold. Verse 6, then the family leaders and the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. 
for the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, a heap more iron, and also contributing numerous precious stones which were deposited into the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, the descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. Kevin spoke of it this morning. Don't give reluctantly. Look, look, if you're reluctant, don't give. It's fine. God loves a cheerful giver. And David was overwhelmed with joy when he gave all that he had. And he saw other people stepping up to the mark. Wow, yeah, I can see this. We're going to set up the next generation. There are going to be children that learn the truths of God in this new temple. There are going to be generations to come well after we are, are, are dead and buried. The, the, the town in which we live in, I'm sort of crossing between their story and ours. The town in which we are living is going to be so much, has got so much of a greater, brighter future in it because we're stepping out here, because we're doing what we can do in our generation for those to come. And it brought joy. Does that bring joy to you? Man, that fills me with joy. I'm going to finish here. Get the team up, thanks. David, a man after God's own heart, no doubt completely sold out to the honor of God himself, the living God. We read through the first half of his life how beautiful and and. and his heart was toward God. Now, he was a normal person. Remember, he had that super bad slip in the middle there and he, he fell into adultery and he did some rotten stuff just to show that he was not, you know, he's not some superpower. He's the same as the rest of us. But he gets to the end and he finishes well again and he decides with all that he has to honor God in a new way. He honored him before in worship. He honoured him before in his playing. He honoured him before in looking after his father's sheep. He honoured him by playing before the king. He honoured God by going into battle on the front line, the most dangerous position. He continually honoured God by his lifestyle. It's just toward the end we see so clearly that he chose the way that he was going to honour God at the end was to build him a temple for the Lord, his God, and for the future generations to come after him. Amen. I'm going to finish with this last reading. We've done a lot of reading this morning. Well, I've done a lot of reading this morning. At the end of this book, the end of First Chronicles, last chapter, verse 21, Solomon is named king. David passes the baton onto Solomon. He's declared the new king of Israel. This young guy with a big job in front of him, he's declared the new king of Israel. All of the, the, the gifts for the building of the temple have come in. 
all of the tons and tons of gold have been backed up on lorry trucks and tipped into the treasury of the building. Like it's all come in. Solomon is named king. Here's the new day, the new era. It says this, the next day they brought 1,000 bulls. You listening to Maxi? They brought 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, 1,000 male lambs. I'm sorry, vegetarians. 3,000 animals they, they brought as burnt offerings to the Lord. They also brought liquid offerings and many other sacrifices on behalf of all Israel. And I love this. They feasted and they drank in the Lord's presence with great joy that day. There were 3,000 slaughtered animals with enough liquid offerings to, to match the meat. And it says that they rejoiced in the Lord's presence as they feasted on it. Remember my thoughts last week about the offerings we bring to the Lord. One side of it is to honour God. But the other side of it is that after God is honoured by our gift, it is then used for a purpose. And these burnt offerings weren't just consumed and thrown away. The people, after bringing the offerings to the Lord, celebrated together. It's a new day. Sam, um, what's his name? Solomon is the new king. And let's celebrate together. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Cassia alluded to the fact uh, that we're going to have lunch after the service next week. That's a celebration lunch. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a thousand lambs. Not really, but I thought, it, well, that's fresh in your mind. I thought it would be fantastic if as a church, I'm, again, I'm sorry, vegetarians, but if we have a feast next week, is that all right? If we have a feast next week, I thought the church would, would provide much meat, if that's all right. We're going to provide some some lambs. We're going, what were they? Lambs and yeah, and rams and, and calves, bulls. I'm not sure if we're going to. Anyway, we'll see what we're going to do. But we thought we would we would s celebrate with feasting next week. So instead of bringing a, a plate next week like we've done in the past of a smorgasbord of different things, I just want to ask if ask you if you want to bring something. Do that, but bring it to accompany the meat that we're going to have here next week, if that's all right. Bring some salad or a dessert or, or something like that. We're going to have a big display, I'm sorry, vegetarians, of meat. Is that all right? <laughs> not everyone's smiling at me right now, so I'm, I'm not sure if this is kosher. Just... Just to, just to really cement in our brains that we're celebrating. We're bringing an offering to the Lord next week, which is a supernatural offering. For many, it's going to take great faith to bring what you want to bring to the Lord. It is for me. It's going to take great faith. You know what? He's really after faith. That's what he's really after. It doesn't matter about the, the, the amount at all. Remember the, 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 the widow he was most excited about that came and just put her coin 
you know, he was most excited about her offering. Because it's not about the amount, but it's about the faith that goes with it. It's about the joy that goes with it. The seed sowing into the next generation. And that's what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. Sound good? We're going to finish the service this morning by singing, God's Not Dead, It's a New Day. We're going to celebrate next week with some meat and good times. We won't have any alcohol here. It's all right. Let's sing this song together and remember what God is doing. He is so good. He is for us. He is blessing us. And this is our time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team.